And welcome, everyone, to this week's edition of Novak Now. I'm your host, Jake Novak. You can follow me not only when I'm on the uh, Nachum Siegel Network, but you can follow me on Twitter, at JakeJakeNY. I have a Facebook page. Just look me up, Jake Novak, N-O-V-A-K, on Facebook. You'll find me pretty easily there. And again, the Twitter, the Twitter uh, handle is probably the best way to follow me for takes on the news as it happens, so you don't have to wait a week to get some commentary going. Again, at JakeJakeNY is my Twitter handle. And you can also find me at JakeNovakNews.com. That is my more financial news page. Uh, there are some clips of me talking about general politics there, but of course, you can also get my daily financial news, business news update every morning so you can get ready for the business day. Um, this week, I want to talk about nationalism, nationalism and the Jews. And of course, of course, whenever you talk about Jews and nationalism, you have to start. You have to start by talking about that relatively short dictator who rose from humble beginnings to take over his country with a message of militant, militant nationalist superiority. And of course, that message of militant nationalist superiority included several massive changes in the treatment of Jews. You know who I'm talking about, that man who led his nation to conquer almost all of Europe, even parts of Africa, and everywhere he went and everywhere his country conquered other countries, they enacted shocking new laws concerning the Jewish populations. Again, you know what I'm talking about. You know who I'm talking about, right? You know that that short little dictator who changed life for the Jews wherever he went had his dream of world dominance die first on the Russian front and then at the hands of the resilient British army. Again, of course, you know that the uber-nationalist little dictator I'm speaking of was Napoleon Bonaparte. That's right, that's who I was really talking about. Napoleon Bonaparte, perhaps the greatest emancipator of the Jews since Moses. Whom did you think I was talking about? And if you thought the person I was talking about was Adolf Hitler, let me ask you to ask yourself whether you really know all you think you know about national, nationalism and the Jews. And before I go on with the philosophical point I'm trying to make, let's close a little bit of the holes that I left in the historical knowledge, the historical aspect of what I just said. Napoleon Bonaparte was not a saint. Napoleon Bonaparte was brash. Napoleon Bonaparte started unnecessary wars for many years. But Napoleon Bonaparte also was a true emancipator of the Jews wherever he went. He pushed and succeeded in getting Jews equal citizenship in many, many parts of Europe and the world where they never had it before, particularly in Eastern Europe. And he did so not necessarily out of the goodness of his own heart or because he felt it was a nice thing to do. He did it because he wisely knew that the Jewish populations throughout Europe were an asset to the local governments and asset to the local economies, and he wanted them to be free so that as a conquering force, he and the French army would be considered people who made positive changes, positive changes in the countries that they entered and took over, and people could say, well, the economy is better, and he knew that if the Jews had more freedom, the chances of that, the chances of life being better in those countries would also be better. Again, I'm not sainting or canonizing Napoleon Bonaparte. But my philosophical point here, my friends, here on Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network, is that nationalism and the Jews is not this open and shut case that our friends on the left 
seem to think it is. Or our historically challenged folks, perhaps even on the moderate or right-wing side, don't seem to understand. Because nationalism, just like anything of power or any major thought process out there, can be used for good and can be used for bad. I would compare nationalism to guns, which coincidentally and correspondingly and at the same time save Jewish lives and take Jewish lives. I would correspond it to eating. You know we have to eat to live, but if you eat the wrong way or eat the wrong things, it can hurt you and can kill you. Exercise can be a great thing. If you do it too much or you do it the wrong way, it can be a very bad thing for you. Nationalism is one of those things. And there's another thing that nationalism is, which is it can't be generic. There's no such thing as generic nationalism. By that, I mean you can't just say nationalism. Just like you can't just say cheese. You know, cheese could be the uh, cheese that you have, uh, the smoked cheese that you have maybe on Passover, and cheese can also be uh, fine brie that you might have at a fancy restaurant. They're hardly the same thing. And nationalism is another one of those things that really cannot be discussed, cannot be defined without another modifier. So when we talk about nationalism, we have to talk about what country or what type of nationalism we're tying it into. So, of course, the reason why I'm talking about nationalism this week is because President Trump, several times on this midterm election trail, and especially in the last several weeks, has been proudly declaring himself not only a nationalist, but an American nationalist. And that's very important. It's very important for us to discuss that. Now, universally, and I I would say almost universally, I know that there are some voices out there who are going to agree with what I'm going to say in this, this half hour. But they're not getting published and they're not getting on the news. What you're hearing in the news, what you're hearing on the websites, what you're hearing on all the mainstream channels is that nationalism is a bad thing for the Jews. And that when an American candidate or politician uses the word nationalism, it is a dog whistle, which is a funny way of saying a a signal that only bad people will hear. It is considered to be some kind of a dog whistle signal to racists, xenophobes, and anti-Semites. Based on what those people in the mainstream news media consider to be their fantastic historical education, which, of course, is nothing of the sort. Again, I'm Jake Novak. I've been in the television news media for over 25 years. I can tell you that I can count on one hand the number of my fellow journalists who had anything close to a master's degree or Ph.D. level of education in history or economics. Really, one hand. One hand doesn't mean these people are stupid, it just means that they are not as educated as they believe themselves to be. But they say that about nationalism. They say that nationalism is a dog whistle and a signal for for anti-Semites and racists and xenophobes because their limited understanding and historical knowledge of nationalism is basically limited to Adolf Hitler. And yes, Nazi nationalism and Hitler's brand of nationalism was racist, xenophobic, and of course anti-Semitic. Yes, it was. Only a fool would say otherwise. And yes, Germany had some incredible challenges, unfair challenges foisted upon it at the end of the world war, at the end of World War I. 
But that had nothing to do with the ideas behind Hitler's brand of nationalism. It just made the ground more ripe and more fertile for his type of nationalism to, to take root. But nationalism in the Jews has a mixed record, and I would argue in many cases it's really a positive record for the Jews. Now, of course, Napoleon is the best example. Now, some of you might have gone to a very good college and, and gone to a very good high school and asked yourself, gee, how, why don't I know that about Napoleon? I'm not doubting that Jake is right about uh, Napoleon emancipating the Jews or everyone, but how, how come that wasn't taught in my European history class in high school, or uh, how come they didn't talk about that that much? Well, the reason is very simple. The American university system and higher education system, even some levels, the AP history, or the kinds of classes you might take in an advanced high school class, are very much modeled after a British system. And the British historians, because they ultimately defeated Napoleon in, at Waterloo, they really got the chance to write the definitive history of Napoleon for the Western world. I'm sure many of you have heard the term that the, the, the victors get to write the history. History belongs to the winners, or history belongs to the victors. And in the case of Napoleon, who, again, was not a saintly character, I'm not saying that you need to go find some books that say he was all, you know, fantastic and great, because he wasn't. But the positive things that Napoleon did, of which there were many, include his emancipation of the Jews and his appreciation of the Jews throughout Europe, particularly in France, of course, his other main accomplishment was he stopped the blood running in the streets of France that had been running for years and years and years corresponding to the French Revolution. He finally brought order to that country in, frankly, a much less brutal way than the disorder came in. Now, again, the British historians weren't very interested in giving Napoleon that kind of credit throughout the 19th century after he was finally defeated in the early years of the 19th century, and that stretched into the 20th century as well. So that's one reason why a lot of us don't know that kind of history. But of course, the other reason is that there's a tremendous bias in both our schoolwork and also on the television news and on the newspaper news for news. It's called news for a reason. So events that happened more than two centuries ago, remember Napoleon's been out of the picture since 1814, <laughs> events that happened 200 years ago aren't going to get the kind of attention that something that like World War II gets, and something that even more recent, even more recent events get. We understand that. So it's not all necessarily an evil plot to ignore and not emphasize the positive contributions of Napoleonic rule, but it's important not for, to forget them. And we as Jews tend to forget them because, again, this is also a byproduct of political bias. Yes, there is political bias here. I would say it's smaller and less pronounced than the historical ignorance bias or the bias of more recent events in the news than things that happened 200 years ago. Nevertheless, there is a bias in trying to make everything that, can, that conforms to nationalism or right-wing politics and try to equate that with Nazism. And of course, that is a left-wing bias, one that the news media uses a lot, one that politicians on the left use a lot, and one that a lot of us allow them to get away with doing. So again, I use a Napoleon Bonaparte example because also, he, I mean, it's just, it's just funny because he also was a diminutive, like Hitler was, man. He also was someone who did not really come from a, a, a wealthy family at all. He had all kinds of, you know, struggles in his youth. And he rose up in many ways, all against the odds, very similar to Adolf Hitler. But of course, Napoleon's 
brought in so many positive things along with some of his negative things that he really can't be at all considered like Hitler other than those kind of physical attributes and the the disadvantages of his beginnings. But it's a little trick to play, and, and one of those things that I'd like to do is to continue to write little historical tricks like the one I did at the beginning of the show, where I said, you know, we can't talk about nationalism without talking about that little dictator who took over Europe and changed the laws for Jews. Because you know that nine out of ten people hearing me say that or hearing anyone or reading that are going to think we're talking about Hitler. Because they're just not as educated or as on the right side of history as they think they are. But I want to talk about the defining aspects of nationalism here on Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network, because that's very, very important. Obviously, Napoleonic nationalism is not on the table now. Again, we're talking 200 years ago there. But on the table right now with Donald Trump is American nationalism. And Donald Trump's brand of American nationalism, we've seen before. And I would argue that Donald Trump's brand of American nationalism is extremely positive and has been extremely positive for the Jews for many, many centuries. Well, at least many, many generations. America's only been around for, we're only on our third century, so I'll say a few centuries. American nationalism is different from all other nationalisms, as again, every nationalist, nationalism they're talking about, every nationalist movement that you speak of has to be defined with more than a word than just nationalist or nationalism. You must use the name of the country, or the name of the person, or the name of the sub-philosophy of nationalism before you can discuss whether it's positive or negative for anybody, let alone the Jews. Now, American nationalism is very often conflated with a bunch of other things. I just said before, American nationalism is said to be the same thing by many people as racism, xenophobia, and anti-Semitism. It is not. It is not. Perhaps a few more well-meaning people will conflate American nationalism with American imperialism. That is the idea that America should conquer or take over territories outside of the continental United States. An idea that really, really took hold under the presidency of Teddy Roosevelt when we're talking about the Philippines and places like that. And American nationalism is not American imperialism. There are some cases in history where you can argue that American nationalism led to American imperialism, and that's a fantastic argument to make, and I, I would agree with it on many cases. But that's not the same, but they, it doesn't mean that the same thing, and they are not the same thing. In fact, American nationalism is the first real form of nationalism that discards race, discards ethnicity, discards even nation of origin because of the record-breaking amount of naturalized citizens the United States has, not only in our collective history, but year after year after year after year. And we could cut immigration to this country by about 50% and still naturalize more citizens in this country every year than any other country. That's how much American nationalism is different from other nationalisms. We believe that people coming here legally and going through the citizenship process are people to be proud of, and we are excited that they become proud of the United States, and that is a unique aspect of American nationalism. But American nationalism also takes, to some degree, some form of military form, in that American nationalism very much was a part of the motivation of the American people to fight in, the, in wars, world, wars, world Wars I and II, and particularly World War II, where President Franklin Roosevelt used American nationalist messages over the course of a few years to try to rally the American people into supporting involvement in World War II. And for example, when I talk about that from the point of view of the Jewish people, as bad as the Holocaust was, 
if the United States doesn't enter the war, if the United States Army doesn't come and start liberating the camps, well, the Holocaust would have been a lot worse. Everyone we know or have ever heard of who was a survivor of the camps probably would not have survived. And that would have added, I, I suppose, at least a few hundred thousand, if not another million victims of the Holocaust. So when people talk about American nationalism as being a bad thing for the Jews, one of two things are happening. The most likely thing that's happening is you're just hearing them be ignorant. And by ignorant, I mean literally ignorant. They don't know their history. They don't know what nationalism and American nationalism truly is. They don't know what American nationalism has done for the Jews in the course of our own history. And they're being too centered on recent Nazi history and believing that that is truly the better embodiment or the more factual embodiment of nationalism. Not the better, but the more factual embodiment of nationalism, which it is not. It is just one form of nationalism. French nationalism under Napoleon, American nationalism under many American presidents have been, were very, very positive for the Jews. And those who do not know, say that either don't know it, which I think is the most likely reason, or the unfortunately more nefarious reason, which I do think can be ascribed to certain people, is that they know that, but they would rather hide that fact or not discuss that fact so they can, fact so they can attack the American right, in this case, President Donald Trump. So that's the one aspect of nationalism that we talk about when we talk about the United States and we talk about France and we talk about other countries that I think everyone should keep in mind. But let's bring this closer to home now, on Novak now here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Let's talk nationalism closer to the Jewish people in more than a way than when we talk about some European country or some American president. And let's talk about our form of nationalism, because Jews do have a form of nationalism, and they have probably longer than any other people in the history of the world. That's right. You might even argue that in many ways, it's the Jews who invented nationalism. Of course, I'm talking about Zionism. And Zionism, by definition, if anyone ever tried to define Zionism in a dictionary-type one-sentence way, I can do it for you right now. Zionism is Jewish nationalism. And if my old Zionism teacher... Rabbi Yotav Eliach is listening. I know he's smiling because Yotav Eliach, who in the 1980s created at the Yeshiva Flappish High School, where I attended, the first true high school level, AP level curriculum of Zionism, really made sure that that fact got drilled into everyone's head in the entire school. Not one person graduated from the Yeshiva Flappish in the 1980s, and probably not now either, without being able to answer the question, what is Zionism? And the answer is Jewish nationalism. And Zionism is, of course, very different from American nationalism. Zionism is something that absolutely precedes the Theodore Herzl and the secular Zionists, not that we don't owe them a great debt. There are a lot of religious Zionists who have a problem with the Theodore Herzls of the world. That's not me. But one would have to be ignorant of Jewish history and Jewish historiography not to know of the many Zionist writings of rabbis of the 16th and 15th and 17th centuries that preceded Theodor Herzl quite, quite a bit, talking about true Jewish nationalism in the land of Israel, where the Jewish people could live their lives in a, a way to promote the Jewish way of life. Now, the other thing that we were defined forced to define at the Yeshiva of Flatbush and backed up with a lot of sources and reasoning was that the idea that Judaism is a way of life. It's not just, not just a religion, it's truly a way of life, one that cannot be fully practiced. 
You cannot fully practice all the laws of, Jew- of Judaism unless you are in the state of Israel, the land of Israel. I shouldn't say necessarily the state of Israel, but the land of Israel. So again, to really be a Jew and to live a Jew as a full, in fully, you must live in the land of Israel. It doesn't mean that people who Jews who are living, not living in the land of Israel are, are committing some kind of great sin. That's not what I'm saying at all. But the idea that Judaism as a way of life, which it is, can only truly be fully practiced in Israel is a very old, millennia old idea. And we created that idea. And modern Zionism is very much Jewish nationalism and a form of nationalism akin to the other nationalisms that we've seen in other parts of the world. So, so based on that, Based on that, why is it that there are so many Jews who have a little problem with nationalism? Don't they know that Zionism is Jewish nationalism? Well, of course, again, once again, we must explain that for most Jews who feel that way, they are most likely just simply ignorant of the history and the, and the defining aspects of Zionism. Again, too many of us like to jump to that conclusion that people who disagree with us or people who don't know a certain thing are... are evil or wrong, it's a case of ignorance. I mean, how many of you, how many Jewish people, even religious Jewish people, had a Zionism curriculum that, there was, that was taught to them in junior high, high school, or beyond? I mean, if I were asking for an imaginary raising of hands here, there would be a small, small raising of hands. It's better than it used to be. I do believe that a lot of the Jewish day schools out there do it. I know that Zionism classes are available at certainly Yeshiva University and Stern College, but honestly... A teaching of what Zionism is among our own community schools, let alone the public schools or the public universities or the private secular universities, is, not, is hardly existent. It's not there. We don't have enough of it, and it's a problem. It's a problem, and I do believe it leads a lot of relatively well-meaning Jews and Jews who believe they are Zionists into thinking that nationalism is a bad thing. Now, you can still be a good Zionist. You can still be a Zionist who supports Israel and think that nationalism is bad, but it I do believe that it means that you don't fully understand the concept of Zionism. Which, again, if you haven't had that kind of a formal education of it, I I can't blame you for that. If you are someone who never really had an opportunity to read up on what Zionism really is all about, and again, for those of you who want to do that, I'm going to say his name again, you can go and and get Yotav Eliyach's new book that is very, very long, but worth reading every chapter, because every chapter will get you that education that I so urge you to get about what Zionism is. And of course, Yotav talks extensively about how the Jewish misconceptions about nationalism are very much in response to the fact, or, or, the, or, or because of the fact, so many Jews don't really know what Zionism is, and don't really know the history of Zionism, and don't understand that Zionism is perhaps the world's first nationalist movement, but it is absolutely a nationalist movement because Zionism is Jewish nationalism. Now, of course, the other reason why so many Jews have a problem with nationalism is, again, because it is an old Jewish idea. And like all old Jewish ideas from the Torah and from our tradition, there's a tremendous amount of Jewish people who reject them and are proud of the fact that they are ethnically Jewish, proud of the fact that they like bagels, proud of the fact that there's, you know, you name the Jewish comedian that they identify with from Seinfeld on down. But when it comes to actually following Jewish practice and learning Jewish history and learning Jewish teachings, they're not as interested. And it's more than that, they are actually openly rejecting of it. Which is too bad. I don't think that everyone has to live a religious life or be punished. Uh, Those of you who know me (laughs) know that that's not me at all. 
But to reject every aspect of Judaism beyond the bagels and beyond the Seinfelds and beyond political leftism, which, again, in America, for the most part, Jews have been political leftists. But I can do an entire other edition of Novak now about how that only became true at the time of Franklin Roosevelt. Jews before Roosevelt were Republicans, and I'll talk about that perhaps in another program, including my family, who were leading Republicans in the city of Chicago in the 19th and early 20th century. But I'll get to that on another program. But the point is, is that for a lot of Jews, that's their Judaism. Their Judaism is leftist politics. Their Judaism is bagels. And that's not enough for me. That I don't think is great. Doesn't mean you can't be a left-wing Jew and doesn't mean you can't be a left-wing or a Jew who just simply likes bagels. But I think that there's a lot, but that's a shame because there's just so much more to being a Jew. And if Jews are rejecting Judaism because they feel it's racist to believe that Jews are something different from everybody else, or it's wrong to support Zionism because maybe they do know it as Jewish nationalism, that's a shame. Because I think that they haven't been educated properly, or maybe there's other reasons why they're just not being fair to Judaism. For those of you who are listening who either believe or have friends or relatives, I think we all have relatives. Don't we all have a relative or a friend who is Jewish who says, well, I, I reject living so openly as a Jew because I don't like any religion saying that they're, that they're, we're better than everybody else. I, can't, you know, I hate that about Judaism. They just think that we're better, and that's not true. Well, that's right. It's not true. That's not what Judaism teaches. For those of people who are mistaken in thinking that Jews think that they're better than everybody else, they've got it wrong. As Jews, we believe our way of life and our Torah teachings are better than other philosophies out there, but we don't believe that we're better than anybody else because any Jew who knows a thing knows that there's plenty of Jews who aren't following those practices, no matter how religious they may look. We just believe we have a better roadmap, but we know that we're not following, we're not doing such a great job of following it. In fact, Jewish history is absolutely punctuated time after time after time with examples of us not following our way of life and being punished for it, whether it's ancient history or regular history. Now, the one last part of, of, Jewish, of Jews and nationalism that I want to mention is this George Soros angle here on Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. This growing narrative now in the news media, and again, among the left, hardly any difference. Really, I don't really need to differentiate between the two of them. Do I need to do that? But this growing narrative now that's going on that says that if you criticize George Soros and you say that he is working against the interests of the United States or the American people, then that is a dog whistle. Again, using that dog whistle definition I introduced at the beginning of the program today, is that that's a dog whistle for anti-Semitism. So let me answer that by saying this. And let me just say this as clearly as I possibly can. Billionaire George Soros, despite the fact that he was born a Jew, is most definitely and unequivocally and undeniably an enemy of the Jewish people, of the American people, of the state of Israel, and the United States of America. And there is no denying any one of those four things. He is an enemy of all four. He has worked against Israel to support the boycott, divest, and sanctions movement. He has worked against the United States to try to demonize almost every sitting member of our elected houses, houses of Congress and of the White House. He has worked to undermine the economies of Israel and the United States. And I say that as a proud Jew, as a practicing Jew, as a yeshiva-educated Jew, with the backing of the state of Israel, which has said the same, and it was reiterated that statement this week. 
and with the backing of very educated, very religious practicing Jews all over the world who know that George Soros is an enemy of our people. Yes, he had a Jewish mother and a Jewish father. He does not live as a Jew, but that is not the why, he is, why he is the enemy of our people. There are plenty of non-practicing Jews who are quite supportive of the Jewish people and, and, of, and of Israel. He is not one of them. And anyone who says that criticizing him is somehow a nefarious way to dishonest or dishonest way or underhanded way to criticize the Jews or to be anti-Semitic is wrong, is wrong. Or they're calling me an anti-Semite, which is laughably untrue. This has been Jake Novak. This is Novak now on the Nachum Siegel Network. I look forward to speaking with you again next week.